Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest I've known for many years and hear her name mentioned again and again by members of the Constellation who have come to know her too. Her name is Betsy Norris. She is an adoptee and the founder and executive director of Adoption Network Cleveland, the Ohio Family Connection. With a wide array of programs and services, Adoption Network Cleveland has been recognized nationally as a successful model for effective service and advocacy for members of the adoption community, including adoptees, adoptive foster and kinship families, birth parents and siblings, youth in foster care, and related professionals. Betsy has become a frequent spokesperson in the media and has led the organization to long-term success building innovative programs and having a strong advocacy voice. Major advocacy achievements leading successful efforts to decrease barriers to permanency for youth lingering in foster care and changing laws about access to records resulting in Ohio adoptees gaining access to their original birth certificate. Allow me to introduce you to a person who has been committed to the adoption community for over three decades, helped change laws in reunion with her birth family, and has helped so many people navigate their way through the complexities of their journey. Hi, Betsy. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on. Oh, I'm excited to have you on today because I know a lot of people know you. You have made major contributions to the adoption community for many, many years now. I'm just glad that you're taking this time. I know you have a lot on your plate, and and so I just appreciate you being on as a guest. So I just want to say as an adoptee, I have had the awesome opportunity to take part in virtual meetings with Adoption Network Cleveland that are informative and enjoyable. And I've seen familiar and new faces of all members of the Constellation. Each person, whether they speak or are simply present in the virtual space, have added to my belief that we are all participating in the community together for the purpose of taking a path toward healing from a trauma. And I especially like the Monday evening speaker series where I've learned so much from the likes of Patricia Martinez-Dorner, Ann Fessler, and Damon Davis. So I kind of want to start there. Is that is that okay? Sure, yeah. Yes, so let's talk about the Monday Evening Speaker Series. Great, yeah. I So that, that was like a pandemic opportunity, I guess, the silver lining. When the pandemic hit in March of 2020, we 
had a conference planned that was supposed to be about a week after the shutdown happened. Um, it was the, actually it was the, now I've lost track of time, the sixth or the seventh anniversary of our opening day of our records. I guess it was the fifth, celebrating with the conference. And, and it was supposed to be March 20th and 21st, 2020. So it got canceled very spontaneously. I just thought, you know, this is, we need to keep our community together. We need to find ways for people to continue to connect and interact. And it was important and kind of had that conference energy to the juices flowing. So I had never done much Zoom or, you know, any kind of online formats like that. But I just thought, you know, this is an opportunity. People will be very forgiving if it doesn't, if I screw up and it doesn't work, but I'm going to try this and see what happens. So we hit the ground running like really quickly. I think April 1st was our first one, you know, just started this Monday evening speaker series, a very spontaneous thing. And it's been really successful and engaged people from all across the country and even some other countries. Um, it's been really fun. It's wonderful. It, it really is. And as executive director of Adoption Network Cleveland, how would you best describe the resource you've been able to provide to our community? It's, I know you, you offer so much. <laughs> so, yeah, I started Adoption Network in 1988. So we're in our 34th year. It's hard to believe. Wow. And I had my own reunion in 1986. I searched for my birth parents. And it was kind of a lonely journey. You know, there wasn't an internet yet. You couldn't just Google how do I do this. <laughs> there were literally only a couple books on the topic that were, you know, out there. It was a profound journey. I worked as a nurse in child mental health at the time, and I noticed that about 20% of the kids that found their way to the inpatient unit that I worked on needing mental health services were adoptees. And People weren't talking about it or really acknowledging that. I was kind of informally counting that up. And, you know, I just thought nobody should have to go through this alone. You know, maybe I've, when I struggled through my search and ultimately found, I just thought, you know, maybe I've got something to give. Maybe I can bring people together. In Ohio, at least, there weren't really any support groups or search resources that were organized at the time. So I tell people now I was young and naive and energetic, and it's probably a good thing I was. I had no idea what I was getting myself into in a way. We launched with a conference. The person that I coordinated the conference with, a birth mom, she and I thought that if we had maybe 75 or 80 people, that would be success. We had over 200 people from all over the place. Just quickly realized how much need there was out there. My phone number was in the newspaper article. You know, I was so naive. I, th This birth mom, Kate, and I were meeting with a reporter to do an article about the conference. And the reporter, of course, asked, you know, where can people call for more information? And Kate didn't really want her phone number in the paper. So I just said, well, I guess you can put mine. And <laughs> I really thought about it, you know. <laughs> and my phone literally rang off the hook. I mean, oh. this is, you know, again, when everybody used to read the newspaper, there was no internet. And I, I got literally 275 phone calls in a three-day period wow. of adoptees and birth parents and adoptive parents and professionals trying to help all these people. I didn't even have a computer. I mean, I this was in the 80s. Right. I sat there in my notebook and, you know, the phone was ringing every time I hung up and took down everybody's name and address and phone number. And that was our first mailing list. A lot of those folks came to the conference, but... You know, the ones that didn't, we invited to the meetings. So it's kind of started with a bang. I, I knew there was an unmet need, 
and I figured I wasn't alone, but I had no idea how how big it was or how much of an unmet need it was. Mm-hmm. For me, that's one of the most important things that we built a community um, where there really wasn't one. I felt from the beginning that it was really important to bring people together, to have adoptees and birth parents and adoptive parents and professionals all come together and share and learn from each other because at the time things were I don't know, you know, even almost divisive, that a lot of fear, I think a lot of misunderstanding. Adoptees and birth parents, you know, were kind of over here and and adoptive parents and professionals were over there. And if nothing else, I thought, well, okay, who in this equation has the power and who has the voice? And at the time it was much more adoptive parents and the professionals. And, you know, so every reason to bring people together to learn from each other and to be less scared and to create change and to broaden that voice and so I think that's been really successful it's kind of a guiding principle as well yeah I agree and you know guest after guest on this show sing praises about Adoption Network Cleveland like Cynthia and Barbara Robertson and Deborah Sparrow and Wendy and Oliver and David Bynum who I recently had the opportunity to talk to and and many more how does that make you feel (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny because I don't always stop and take stock of, I think, the number of people that we've touched or the amount of depth in the community that from being here for so many years. Sometimes I do, you know, when Adoption Network had our 25th anniversary, and now we're coming up on our 35th almost. And, you know, are you saying that, you know, we've, we've been around for a long time and been able to be really central. It's been really rewarding to be able to create a nonprofit organization that has staff and really gets funding from foundations and donors and, uh, you know, really able to move the needle and, and accomplish a lot. So it's gratifying. I'm, I'm very thankful. Yeah, you should feel very proud about that. And, and I'm thinking now of Jean Strauss and her many films, and one of her films is about you, an adoptee roared in Ohio. You want to talk a little bit about that film? Sure. So a huge piece, a big piece of my life's work has been around legislation to create access to records for adoptees in Ohio. We worked on it for uh, many, many, many years, 25 years uh, before we got it passed and implemented in 2015. And Jean has been involved in similar work, and she also was really intrigued by kind of a subplot, if you would, in the story. Through the course of my working on these bills, my adoptive father, who was always very supportive of my search and reunion and my legislative involvement, he came out several years into my efforts to get that law changed. He came and confessed that he was the person who was behind getting the records closed in 1964 in Ohio. So I tell people it's almost like a Greek tragedy, you know, the child unwittingly undoing the sin of the parent, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and Jean was always just so struck by that. And my, my dad had come to the Ohio legislature with me in the 1990s and testified for our bill and said, hey, I authored the bill that we're trying to undo now. And I was a new adoptive parent kind of based 
and fear. He was trying to really close the records from the public. He wasn't trying to close them from to the adoptees themselves. And he was an attorney. He had the wherewithal to record on cassette tape his testimony. And he gave them to me and said, you're going to need these someday. And he passed away before our bill finally passed. He passed away in 2006 and our bill passed the legislature in 2013. So he wasn't here to see it, which was sad, but I, I know that he knew that we'd be successful eventually. But Jean was always intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. She wanted a copy of the cassette tape and we got it transferred to a different format so that she could use it. And she put together this film and it was so powerful for me. I had not heard my dad's voice, you know, since he passed away. And it was in the Cleveland Film Festival and I had not seen the the actual film until we, I was sitting there in the theater and it starts with my dad's voice. So wow. really you know, so she uses that that sub story to like kind of tell the story of our involvement over the 25 years uh, to get the records open in Ohio. And then she also did a lot of short films around our opening day. She came with her son and filmed and taped everything. And it was so uh, fantastic to to have her partnership through all of that. Mm-hmm. Before we get into like the most important things someone new to the adoption community should know, would you like to share however much and wherever you want to start about your adoption story? Um, sure. So uh, I was adopted in 1960. So I grew up in the 60s and 70s when adoption was pretty hush-hush and you didn't talk about it in play company. You know? right. My parents were my parents were always really open with me about my being adopted and it was never a negative thing or an awkward thing in our family. I had flaming red hair as a kid and you know I very quickly learned that this was something that people were kind of taken aback by sometimes. Little old ladies would literally stop my mom and I on the street when I was you know maybe four, five, six years old and say, oh where'd she get her red hair? And I was I was proud of being adopted. I would just say, well, I'm adopted. We don't know. And, you know, they'd kind of shirk back and uh, alarm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't mean to bring that up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Or even sometimes my mom would say, oh, there's Sandy here in the family or we have Irish heritage, which was true, but obviously not my genetic origin. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's kind of like, OK, why is there have to be two different stories about this? Like at home, we're open and out here, we're not. Right. So I grew up with a lot of questions. I asked my parents a number of times about my heritage. They had no background information on me, on me at all. So, you know, people would look at me and say, are you Irish <laughs> or medical history when I became an RN? I look back at those years and I was so out of touch with adoption and birth parents. And I never heard a birth parent's story to the point that I really literally looking back, I, I think I wondered, do birth parents just forget? Like, is it that traumatic that why isn't anybody talking about this? Like maybe they block this out. I don't know. And then I thought it would be selfish of me to go back and try to open things up and it would be hurtful to people. And I knew that my adoptive parents would be open about it. Well, there was a lot of myths back then and maybe even today, but um, that, uh, you know, if adoptive parents did a good enough job raising their children, then they wouldn't need to know more. And I didn't want people to think that about my parents. I and mean, we had, you know, problems just like any family has problems, but they were great parents. And 
I didn't want people to misunderstand or to judge. And so a lot of things held me back for a long time. And when I was in my mid-20s, I was working in child mental health, like I said, and you know, there's all these adoptees on the unit that I worked on. And I happened to run into run across a book in a bookstore, The Adoption Triangle, which at the time was, like I said, one of just two or three books that were out there. It gobbled it up and it put into words things that were so inherent to my being, but that I'd never even thought to verbalize. And it just got me going um, and really was empowering to to hear stories of search and reunion, to read stories of birth parents and kind of unfold that, what the secrecy, how adoption got secret in our culture and why, and be able to think about overcoming that. Yeah, and, I found that to be a great book too for me. Yeah, and, and yeah what's it was with really all ahead this, of its time. Yeah. yeah, what's with all the secrecy? I remember yeah. reading that. I guess I came to my own personal realization of, okay, this isn't about a happy ending. It's about the truth. So, you know, it's, it's worth pursuing. And I thought that the records in Ohio were closed. And so my search took me a, a year, which of course today would take like five minutes, but um, <laughs> you know, there was no internet. I didn't know I could just write to Columbus for my record because I was born before the records were closed. Even when I got my birth certificate, I got it in December of 1985. I didn't locate them until May of 1986. So I think a lot of adoptees go through this, you know, a period of obsession, you know, <laughs> you know, just working on it daily. So it's not like I wasn't paying attention to it. it. It took a year of hard work to do back then. I did not know that my birth parents were married to each other. I was looking primarily for my birth mother, thinking maybe I'd search my birth father eventually once I connected with her. And I had learned that she was married to someone and that she had three teenage kids, but I didn't know that that was my birth father, that those were full brothers. Wow. I actually called her at work once I got that far, which I would probably almost never recommend to anyone, but I knew that she had three teenagers at home and I had discovered that she either owned or managed a small business. And I thought, okay, she's got a door she can close in the office, but if I catch her at home, you know, you don't know who's there and this is obviously going to be an emotional phone call so i just thought she'd have more privacy wrote out a script thought my words out very carefully and i'll tell you making that phone call and getting her on the other end and you know working through how i was going to describe this to her and saying those words it was almost an out-of-body experience watching myself say those words out loud and like jumping off a cliff, not knowing if there's a safety net that's going to catch me or what's going to happen here. And before I got even all the way through, she said, oh, my God, I've been praying for this call for 26 years. Mm. I almost shot through the ceiling, you know, like the adrenaline rush, and the relief. Yeah, the <laughs> relief. I can only imagine. Um, you know, and then a little while into the phone call, she said, well, Bob is going to be so happy. I was like, well, who's Bob? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously I discovered a lot in my search, but there were huge gaps. <laughs> mm. They'd been in college. They were at the end of their junior year when they found themselves pregnant, expecting me. And she went home for the summer and eventually had to confess to her parents that she was pregnant. She lived outside Philadelphia. He was from Cleveland. Her parents called his parents and his family came out to, you know, have this big family meeting. The parents offered them to get married 
like very spontaneously, which they didn't feel was the right way to start their family. And so the parents sent them out for a walk and orchestrated the whole thing that she would be sent away to an Edwin mother's home in Cleveland um, so that there, if there was any public scandal about the pregnancy, it would happen in his hometown, not hers. And then she left in the fall as if she was going back to college and came to the Florence Crittenden home here in Cleveland. They ended up get, staying together through all this and then getting married a year and a half later when she went to night school to finish up her her senior year of college. Now, did your so. siblings know about you? They did not. So my birth mom, and actually, I mean, this is how deep the secrecy goes. My birth parents, even staying together and getting married, couldn't really talk about me. You know, they, they later described it as a hole in their marriage. Mm. Um, I think, you know, maybe on my birth day, they acknowledged that I existed. And I think, you know, they each had kind of their silent pain that they couldn't even, I don't know, open up to each other about. Right. My birth mom has told me several times that like the next oldest, his birth certificate says that he's a second child born to her. And she kind of secretly always hoped maybe he would ask, you know? <laughs> but you know, never really noticed that or asked about that. Hmm. So, you know, there's, I think you know, there was never an easy time to tell them. It was something that they didn't tell them when they were kids, and then they didn't tell them when, when they were teenagers. And the oldest was, I was 26, and the oldest was 18, and then the other two are twins, they were 16 when I found them. And it, interestingly, he was at college, at the same college that my birth parents had been at when I was conceived. Um, he was doing his freshman year at that same school. Wow. <laughs> so when he was told about it, he was like, okay, where did this happen? <laughs> Here I am on campus. You know? <laughs> I but, love um, those synchronicities. Yeah. In our stories, yeah. So, yeah, the secrecy went that day. So he, and they each, all three of them had, you know, kind of different reactions. One of the twins said, I've always wanted a sister, and he was, very excited. The oldest, I think it was an adjustment for him. You know, all of a sudden he's not the oldest and he probably had the strongest feelings about like, okay, you know, I was deceived. Like, why didn't you tell me this? Mm-hmm. Um, he got over it, but it upsets the uh, family structure in a way. But, you know, we all, we all settled in. And when I first met my birth parents, they were traveling to pick him up at college. I met them in May and they were going to be picking him up and then they were going to stop back again in Cleveland on their way home if he wanted to meet me or if he didn't, then they were going to continue on. But he wanted to meet me and so we met early on and then I met the other, the twins, maybe a month later. I was really fortunate my birth parents met my adoptive parents. I I really wanted that. Some adoptees don't really want to bring that altogether. Um, but I'll tell you, when my birth mom and my adoptive mom met and hugged each other and cried on each other's shoulders, it made me whole in a way that I didn't even know was missing to kind of have those two pieces come together. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that was probably one of the most poignant moments in my, in my early reunion. Nice. I appreciate you sharing a part of your journey and and so what are the most important things someone new to the adoption community should know? <laughs> I, you know, I think one thing is that 
it's still, it can be such an isolating experience. And so for people to get, to reach out and get support and find the community um, and take part in the community. And it's, it's really emotional. It touches us. I think it's such a deep kind of pre-verbal level. It can be hard sometimes, but it's so worth it to learn from people that have had different experiences as well as people that have had similar experiences. One of the things that's been interesting for me to watch over the last 35 years, as I described in the beginning, there wasn't really a lot of support out there at all. I think it's really powerful to bring people from different aspects of the constellation of the triad together to learn from each other. And I've, I've kind of watched the pendulum swing a little bit on that. It seems like right now we're in a phase where people maybe gravitate to like adoptee only things or birth parent only things a little bit more. And I think there's a place for that, but I'm a real firm believer in people learning from each other. I would always encourage people to take part in, in the broader experience and they'll learn a lot about themselves that way, I think. Oh, I totally agree. I remember when I picked up Ann Fessler's book, The Girls Who Went Away, because like your birth mom, my birth mom was sent away. And Mm -hmm. it was important to me from that point on, reading Ann's words, is that I've got to know more about the birth parent, the birth mom, Mm -hmm. and and her experience, Mm -hmm. like be able to empathize. And Mm -hmm. conferences that I attended over the years, I would link up with the birth mom and listen to her story in, in hopes that I would better understand what my birth mom went through. And we need to stay connected with adoptive parents. It, it, mm-hmm. it should We should not be isolating from any member of the constellation. I totally agree. And I think that's what makes Adoption Network so rewarding of an experience for anybody because you do get to learn, be around everybody that's affected by this, mm-hmm. this thing oh, called thanks. adoption. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't see a need to vilify anybody. I I think we're all in this together. We all have our own starting place and wherever people are on the, in the thought processes or the learning journey is, you know, that you should start with them there. And I think a lot of people are judgmental. Um, Sometimes if somebody is saying things that they think are ignorant or not informed, you know, it can be frustrating, but to, to help people understand more and to learn more, you have to join with them where they're at as the starting place, I think, mm-hmm. and instead of just making them wrong. You know? Right. Like, you don't see this through the same lens I see this, so, so you're wrong. And I, I think it's important to accept people where they're, where they're at and help them grow. Yeah, I agree. And since you have been connected with the community for over three decades, how do you best keep from having burnout when serving the community? I get excited about people's stories. So when I start to burn out on things, a lot of times it's more like my administrative role, if you will, you know, keeping the nonprofit running and all the things that that entails. But I'm, you know, still after 34 years, so excited about our mission, and the things that we're able to make possible for individuals. So I reconnect, you know, I go to some of our own, our meetings or I reconnect with people on a more personal level. And that, that really helps me to keep going and 
keeps re keeps it in front of me, keeps reminding me of why why we're doing what we're doing and how powerful it is. I went through a phase a long time ago now, but early on in adoption network, I was a volunteer for seven years and kept working as a nurse. And so talk about burnout. It was like, okay, I've got this intense job and then I'm doing this like 40 plus hours a week. I was a registered lobbyist in Columbus when I was, you know, still a nurse and doing this in my spare time. Mm. Um, and I went through a phase where it's like, I don't think I can hear the word adoption one more time. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I remember going to a conference and coming home and I was just like exhausted. I don't know what was different in Cleveland. Cleveland is a very nonprofit friendly community and a really good size, I think, to start an organization in the size of city. I mean, so whatever, you know, things came together that I was able to quit my job and Adoption Network got funding and, you know, we were able to really launch that. And so I'm very grateful that I'm not trying to do both, that I'm able to do this as my work. Not many people get to have a job that they love and would do for free if they could, you know. Um, so I, f I feel really lucky. I'm able, I'm able to give it my all, you know, all the time. I'm just glad that you're doing what you do, and it's definitely a huge contribution to the community. And so I guess in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you would like to share in the beginning, we touched a little bit about the virtual meetings. And so let me talk about that a little bit. So this is another kind of pandemic opportunity. We've never come up with a creative name for them, just general discussion meetings. We've had them since 1988 and several per month because people want, like historically, people wanted a location closer to them or back before the internet, our meetings literally would have over 100 people. They were almost too big. And so we added more and more locations every month to try to get people to get the group smaller. But when the pandemic hit, we pivoted and brought them all online. And so we have, I think it's eight different general discussion meetings every month. And most of them are just open discussion. Once a month each, we rotate having a topic. So once, once a month, there'll be a topic in one of the meetings. One is a birth mother support group. And then one is for DNA discoveries. And so that's something where we've started branching into. We've got a lot of, we help people in searches. So we've got a lot of expertise in the search world. And, you know, DNA is obviously a huge resource now in, in helping with searches. You know, we found that people who are donor conceived or people who have DNA surprises, you know, find out that they have a sibling or find out that their parent their social parent isn't their parent after all, mm -hmm. um, isn't their biological parent. You know, having a, a place for them to go. I've kind of over the years watched the assisted reproduction, reproductive world with some interest because there's been an evolution about like, how much do you talk about this? How open are you? Do you tell the kid that this is how, what their origin is? And it parallels adoption in a lot of ways. And I remember probably 20 years ago thinking, geez, you know, haven't we learned anything? Like they're starting back from scratch, like, oh, you don't tell the child, you know, like, couldn't we learn from adoption that, that secrecy is not good? Right. And uh, so my heart, you know, has really gotten out to that community. And we've tried to, you know, we've started branching into some of that. We're working on legislation in Ohio around fertility fraud, which is when people who are donor conceived find out that it was, that the doctor used their own sperm instead of this sample that they, you know, the donor that they were supposed to use. That is uh, really tragic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
and so you know, so a lot of that has captured my interest. And and uh, so, anyways, we have a, a monthly meeting that's around DNA surprises or DNA discoveries, um, and that can be within adoption searches, but it also could be some of these other types of situations. It's been really great to watch the our general discussion meetings be able to kind of take a national platform and meet a need during this time for people because they used to just be very localized support groups and we've got great teams we've got a facilitation team of two for each of the meetings um, and each team has been together doing this for a long time for your listeners that's something that people can clue into and they can find more information on our website yes i will include that in the show notes and and i do recommend listeners to check out the calendar because it's all on that calendar. It's so nicely done and, and it's easy, easy to access. Yeah. So like that's that's fantastic how much you you all offer. It's just wonderful. Well, thank you. Yes. And so I just thank you so <laughs> much for taking the time to, to have this conversation with me. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you, Jennifer. I really, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled that you asked and happy to have this conversation too. I highly recommend attending an Adoption Network Cleveland general discussion meeting, whether you're new to the community or not. The meeting set the intention to provide a safe space where all those impacted by adoption can give and receive support and learn from others' perspectives. Meetings have an open discussion format. They are free, although attendees are encouraged to become Adoption Network Cleveland members. Meetings are currently being offered virtually, which provides the opportunity for those outside of the Cleveland area to participate. Registration is required. For upcoming dates and times, visit their website, which I have included in the show notes. It is fascinating in Betsy's journey that as an adoption reformist, she would undo efforts done close to home by her adoptive father. I like knowing that he came to see sealed records as something unnecessary and would support Betsy in creating change for her and other adoptees to change the adoption law in the state of Ohio. Thank you, Betsy, for creating the time to have a conversation with me so we can learn more about your tremendous contributions to the community. You continually look forward and ahead to see what more you can do. Your longevity more than suggests to me the level of commitment you have to adoptees, birth, and adoptive parents. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.